we don't want to act the music. We want to be the music, right? We want to ingest the script, which in our case is the score. We want to learn how to improvise and be empathetic and great listeners and react on the podium and on the screen, right? With our other actors, in this case, musicians. So there's a ton we can learn from acting classes. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of the Conductor's Podcast. I'm so excited to welcome you back today because I love and adore and really admire the guest I have today. She is someone that I had, no, she was a legend for me, to say the least, because I had known her name for so many years. When I first came to Georgia Tech in Atlanta, Georgia, she was um, chairing the band department at UGA that is in Athens, about an hour or an hour and a half away from where I am. I had always wanted to be connected to her, but because she was such a big name and I felt so little and so ashamed and I didn't, I'm really awkward with networking. I don't know how to just go up to people and introduce myself and all that. So I just kept my secret admiration for many, many years until COVID hit and everything went online. And luckily, I got connected with so many friends, new friends and reconnected with old friends that we were too busy to see each other, to talk to each other in meaningful ways through the pandemic halt. I am so excited to welcome her to the podcast because we have tried so many months. I think we've tried for more than half a year maybe to schedule and a day and time to record this interview and this is the conversation that i laughed the hardest i will not say much about her because she will tell you everything that you need to know about her my guest today that you guessed is cindy johnston turner Hey, Zinni, so great to see you again. Thank you so much for coming. (laughs) (laughs) We are there laughing. (laughs) Yeah, likewise. Yeah, that's the podcast can be just us laughing uncontrollably. See who tunes into that. Yeah, it's great to be here. I'm sorry it's taken so long. Uh, You've been asking for a while and I've been wanting to do it for a while. And it's great that we finally could finally find the time. (laughs) (laughs) after the thunderstorm (laughs) after the thunderstorm yeah listeners i don't know yeah i mean i just went through this incredibly cool thunderstorm here on georgian bay and beautiful ontario and so we had to delay our start but um it was pretty cool to enjoy a thunderstorm on the water it's so cool we'll get back to thunderstorm in a minute i promise okay (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) <laughs> but I always ask my guests this question that you probably were asked a, like a thousand times. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you get to where you are? I know you started a new position last year. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, uh, I'm always amazed that people want to hear about this. But yeah, I'm um, just coming up. Well, no, I'm finished my first year as Dean of Music at uh, Wilfrid Laurier University in Waterloo, Ontario. And uh, it's been a it's been a ride. It's a job I took because it scared me the most. And it is uh, for sure <laughs> scary sometimes. I, you know, I have not been uh, overly complimentary of leadership in, in our field 
not conductors, but, you know, principals, deans, superintendents, presidents, etc. And so when this opportunity came along, I thought, okay, Cindy, uh, let's see if you can do any better. You got all these ideas. Let's put some action behind these words. So here I am doing my best. And it, it's a it's, uh, great school. It's very progressive, very innovative, and a faculty that want to innovate even more. So that's very exciting. We just had a retreat last week that, uh, yeah, we're, we're moving. It's really cool. Uh, you know, stay tuned. There's lots of cool things happening at Laurier in the next few years. Anyway, yeah, before that, I was director of bands at uh, University of Georgia, which I loved. And I know you're in Atlanta and I miss Atlanta and I miss Athens very much. I'm not sure I miss all that humidity this time of year, but (laughs) (laughs) more thunderstorms. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Great thunderstorms. But I do, I I do miss the people and, you know, Athens, such a cool town and I, I miss it. And before that, I was director of wind ensembles at Cornell University in Ithaca, New York. Also some very nice thunderstorms (laughs) for 10 years. Loved that. Missed that. I miss Ithaca too, but Ithaca and, and Athens are very similar. It's just Athens hotter. I sometimes called Athens Athica just because uh, <laughs> it was just the same town, only <laughs> different locales, you know. And then uh, before that, I, I was doing my doctorate at Eastman. Wonderful, wonderful time. Before that, I, was, I did my master's at University of Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. And before that, I was head of a high school music program just outside of Toronto for 10 years. So, so you're a Canadian. Yes. I'm born, I'm born in Canada and I'm a dual citizen now. So I got my husband and I got our American citizenship, uh, two years ago. Oh, so now you are not conducting ensembles. You're conducting people. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Well, yeah, that's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah, how, how does it feel they, like? don't, they don't always come in when I ask, ask them to. Or, well, like, you miss that too, dude. <laughs> and also right misinterpret what we do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean that. Well, that's what conducting is, right? It's just leadership, right? Good conducting is good leadership, and knowing when you're needed and knowing when you're not needed. That second one is very important, right? And. Uh, being a servant to the music and to the people in a lot of ways. So that to me, that's what good leadership is. And I'm practicing that every day and that's what good conducting is. So yeah, I'm not doing any ensembles yet at Laurier. I have a very generous and healthy research budget. So I can probably, I'm going to be looking at doing something as we welcome our new composer on faculty, Kevin Day. I want to do something that celebrates his arrival with some of his new music so I'll probably hire some players and we'll probably do a side-by-side some professional players alongside our our best wind brass percussion players string players and then we have a also a relatively new composer at Laurier Barbara Sinanak who's incredible indigenous well she's an incredible composer who happens to be indigenous so I'm thinking I'm sort of crafting a uh, a project in mind that I'll be doing some conducting for sure. But I'm doing a lot of conducting in the States and abroad. So that's keeping my musical chops in line. I have so many questions. So are those projects one of the things that you mentioned? You you have so many ideas when you took this new role. What are some changes that you were trying to experiment or you you wanted to see happening? Well, we're um, 
we're piloting a new model for ensembles, actually. So I think that there's a large disconnect between music education and conducting. That. Uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, there's that. Something I've been thinking about. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So what students are learning in music education classes and grad students are learning education classes isn't necessarily happening in the ensemble model. Conductors aren't necessarily paying attention to all of that. We're too busy premiering the next new piece for band, right? So, and I'm not saying all college band conductors are like that. There's certainly, that's certainly not the case, but a lot of, a lot of us are. So I'm interested in more synergies. Oh my gosh, you should have seen this fork lightning that just happened. So there's going to be a, it's like real, like huge right over the bay there. Oh, that was, sorry, that distracted me. <laughs> talking about <laughs> conducting a music education. Yeah, I'm interested in more synergies there and, and more conversations and, and allowing our students to make more connections. In fact, I'm, I'm very interested in that, in our music education curriculum overall. So what students are learning in the musicology silo and the theory silo and their ensemble silo and in their own practice room, how can we help those students make, our students make those connections? I mean, I use this analogy all the time, but Steve Jobs when he was asked about creativity, he said, all creativity is just making connections. When you ask creative people how they came up with something, they think they're kind of embarrassed because all they did was see something because they were allowed to make connections. And are we doing that in our music curriculum? I don't think so. That's what we're interested at Laurier in changing our curriculum, that there are way more synergies across the various disciplines and abroad, actually, not just in music, but what are they learning in their electives? It's harder right? There's a lot more conversations that need to happen, a lot more syllabi that need to be shared mm-hmm. and a really, you know, not just yeah, yeah, a lot syllabi. Of collaborations. Yeah, a lot more collaboration. And, you know, I say jokingly, but kind of not, collaboration would be great if it weren't for other people, right? It's like, it's just hard, right? And sometimes you have to, you know, not compromise your ideas, but think about things that you've always done differently. And I like that the Laurier faculty are totally into it. So that's very exciting. And we are, um, so the ensemble model that we're piloting in next year is a modular model. So I've always kind of been bothered by the fact that the amount of time, sorry, that's my puppy, the amount of time that our, that our students spend in ensembles preparing for those rehearsals, all of the rehearsals, maybe a dress rehearsal, a concert, and then we turn around and do it again, relative to the credit weight they receive is not in line, right? As there's something pretty offside about that. Either we raise the credits, which is not going to happen in most music schools for a variety of logistical and pedagogical reasons, then we change the model of ensembles. And so we're experimenting with a modular approach. So for instance, Win Ensemble will be a three-week module And at the same time, there'll be a string orchestra three-week module, percussion ensemble three-week module, et cetera. So it's more intensive. Well, it's the same amount of rehearsals, but we have to think about our repertoire, the volume of pieces and the difficulty of pieces and what we're, the purpose of those pieces, right? And then probably what's, well, what's going to happen is that our, there'll be another audition and our, and our best wind, brass and percussion will then join the best strings to obviously an orchestra, full orchestra concert. And that's a cool project that Kira Omochenko was putting together with an indigenous composer, not Barbara, but another one, another great lightning strike. And those other wind, brass and percussion that 
we're not in the orchestra, this rotation will be a lab ensemble for our music education majors and our beginning conductors and our advanced conductors and our community musicians, et cetera, to do it, be a lab ensemble to rehearse, say, grade two pieces, right? I mean, a lot of our music education majors and our DMA and wind conductors have been exposed to pieces that they will probably not do on their first job, in their first job, right? They're, it's too, they're not going to do winds of Nagual uh, on their first gig, right? So how can we better expose them and rehearse them to quote unquote, if I use this word carefully, quality literature at a younger level so that they know how to rehearse it, et cetera. So that's a model. I mean, there's more to it, but that's generally what we're trying to do. We're going to elicit student feedback as we go. And so that kind of modular approach, if it works, we were going to apply to the entire curriculum. I see. Earlier this year, I interviewed for a position. They have a similar setup for ensembles, but for practical reasons, because their conductors and students have so many outside gigs. Oh, so interesting. They condense orchestra to two weeks. So you come in two weeks, three rehearsals, like three, three hour rehearsals a week and two weeks. And then you break into wind and strings. And then you get together or for opera for three weeks or so. And then break for one part working with the choir, the other part working with new music ensemble for say. So I'm in, I would be really curious to check back on you next year to see how this yeah. works. Yeah, I mean, we also have an extremely, it's a pretty awesome opera program, so that's another module for sure. New music will be something that I will do, but we're not going to bring that in next year. If we do, it'll be in the spring. I mean, I'm really still getting my feet wet, wet with all, all of the incredible <laughs> elements of this job. So I, have, I just have, you know, plus keep, keeping my gigs alive, my guests conducting and teaching in the States, it's been... Yeah, with all the meetings and paperwork and reports you have to do. It's been a challenge. Well, I have to I have to, you know, acknowledge the team. I mean, it's incredible staff at Laurier who just make the job so much easier and also incredible associate deans. I mean, they're so on top of it. Thank goodness, because I, you know, frankly don't know what I'm doing still. So <laughs> they they cover my they cover my back a lot. So it's great. That's okay. We that happens a lot to us conductors in general. Exactly, right? Exactly. <laughs> you kind of noodle through things, still not sure what you did. Yeah, sometimes for sure. <laughs> But I wanted to pick your brain on this because I was I've been thinking a lot about how we not teach leadership in conducting education. Like we we focus so much about learning the rep, right? Or fixing your hand, standing up. But you don't learn those things until you make mistakes, fatal mistakes, when you're on a job. Like, how do you see that, like, being part of your, like, see how we can make that better for our students? Yeah, this is, this is uh, another criticism I've had of, of music education training, right? I mean, it's just fitting it all in. Of course, they have to be exposed to all the rep. They have to have rehearsal techniques. They have to fix their hand. They have, as you said, they, they need to know, you know, have to hone gesture and have a great sense of time and score study and all that wonderful stuff, really the basics. But yes, how do you instill great leadership into music education training? 
I mean, there's so many books on leadership right out there and you just go to the self-help section or the business section of any bookstore and you're just like, where do I start? And I was lucky enough to sort of craft, design my own masters at University of Victoria because I took a different path. So I did kind of a minor in leadership and learned a lot. It changes all the time too. I mean, Dale Carnegie still has a lot to say, you know, how to make friends and influence people is still a book I go back to occasionally and go, yeah, that guy was right. Um, Teaching, I mean, that's the other old adage, are, are leaders born or are they made? I think it's both. But how are they made is your question, right? I mean, yes, they are made through mistakes for sure. But do those mistakes have to be on the job? Could we be creating more opportunities for failure, so to speak, in our music education curriculum? I think we can. Are we letting any of our students, let alone music education students and conductors, are we giving them opportunities to take real risks, whether they be musical risks or leadership risks or decisions? No, I think that we forget that we're a school, right? And school is a place to learn and, and make mistakes and take risks. But we've created a whole generation or more of students who want to get the A and be perfect. And that's not how you create great leadership or great teaching or great conducting, in my opinion. I think what I said earlier about allowing students to, or facilitating students in the curriculum, I mean systemically, not just in your own conducting class or music education class, but allowing students to make connections across curriculum will spark creativity. I actually gave, I can't remember the percentage of their grade, my graduate conducting students to take a risk and learn from it every day on the podium. I actually think that music leadership band camp does a lot. I mean, some of the stuff that Tim Leitzenhauser does and uh, Matthew Arau and uh, Scott Rush is the other guy. Yeah, some of it's kind of, you know, rah, rah, and uh, can't we all get along stuff. That's true. But the heart of it is just good leadership. You know, how to instill empathy and compassion how to serve something larger than yourself, how to become curious, right? I think that's a big part of leadership and great conducting is to have a, a strong sense of empathy and curiosity, curiosity about people, curiosity. And you can practice these things, right? Curiosity about composers, curiosity about theory and history, the audience, being curious about your audience, being curious about everything, like read, 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 read. So I, I think that these are things that we aren't necessarily putting in the curriculum that we could. That's really important. And then, as you say, I will be asking you for the book list. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> right now, you know what, Shawin, right now I'm just reading a bunch of novels because I'm on vacation. And uh, so I've gone to New York Times and the Globe and Mail, like best, best novels of 2021 and 22 and I'm having a heyday just like losing myself in really great stories but there's always there's always something to pick up in a great novel right that sense of narrative arc right now I'm reading a book called The Huntress by Kate Quinn and the way she's weaving together a tale from a variety of viewpoints and the way it's coming together is so extremely exciting the whole time I'm reading this, wouldn't this be a cool composition, you know, a musical composition that this one part 
is told from one point of view and then there's another point of view and then there's another point of view and then it all comes together in this really suspenseful creative way and maybe that's a lot of compositions and i'm not thinking about them the right way but yeah uh, i mean there's just something to learn from everything in my view that's for sure and i particularly love how how novels connect people like kind of influence you and make you feel relatable and you want to find out what's going on next you're not bored with, with good novels right exactly yeah Page turner. Yeah, for sure. I'm not sure a lot of our repertoire is page turning, but uh, <laughs> if you know what I mean, but we're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah. But I would just say it, that doesn't discredit us not trying newer music or supporting composers. For sure. At all. Yeah. But there's an interesting trend that I've seen with the new music, a lot of the new music, especially for wind ensemble. But I'm also noticing it orchestra and new music in general, like contemporary small chamber music, whatever we call these things now, whatever label we're going to put on them, that there is a sort of a, we've moved away from the Milton Babbitt school of who cares if, if you listen to a school of we care if you listen. And there's really beautifully crafted music that's still super interesting, sometimes fun often groove-based, and it turns out that that's why we love music often, right, is that it does have a good beat and you can dance to it. <laughs> like this. It does matter <laughs> for a lot of things, not everything, but the other thing, the reason we love music is repetition, and we frowned on that in the early part of my career anyway. Oh, it's so repetitive. You know, have you heard Mozart? <laughs> he's pretty repetitive. It's just that what he's repeating is, like, super cool, so... Uh, it's really interesting at a certain, you know, you don't know this yet, but you get to a certain age and you can see, you know, I've certainly seen it in fashion, but it's also happening in music, how certain things have either come for a circle or we're at this part of the pendulum now. And it's really, really interesting to see, see how trends move and shake and influence others. For sure. I wanted to kind of circle back to the modules that you were talking about earlier, because I know a notion of building curriculum that way was because they wanted students first to equip, to be equipped with enough skills. So say a brand new conductor just conducting for the first month, don't know where to put their hands, don't know where to follow on the score. If you are throwing them into, I'll talk about leadership, you have to empathy. It's like, we just can't listen and I don't know what I'm doing. So that's why what kind of we broke them into different parts to make it easier to grab in a sense how do you see that in in a more integrated way but of course we don't want them to be so disconnected between the different skills I, I hate the word skills that you have to have but like different sections sectors. yeah well, they are skills though i mean but i think i mean it's sort of the same way we you know a good rehearsal right is kind of hourglass model or macro micro macro right i mean if you can still sort of establish parts of being a conductor or a leader or a great teacher. There's this part, there's this part, there's this part. And as long as you are sort of allowing students the time to synthesize that, right, whether it be at the end of the week or the end of the, you know, the end of that particular class and asking questions, right? Well, how does this relate to what we talked about on Tuesday, right? How does this relate to what we talked about an hour ago, or what you did on the podium an hour ago. Can you see the connection? 
giving them the space to make the connection between what their hand is doing, where they should be looking at the score and who they should be looking at, right? And why it matters. Why, why, why? That's the big question, right? I think that we can all do better at that. But right now it's just, it's just not happening in the curriculum. And I don't even pretend to have all the answers here. Like, don't think that I'm some kind of <laughs> expert in this, right? But I know we've got to, we've got to take a, we've got to try, we've got to try to do it better. That's what I love about collecting is like, we can always be better, all of us. There's always something that we can learn, we can improve ourselves on. And then as I felt with some teachers, they were not taught that way. So it's, it's how they were trained. They didn't even think about kind of, discussing with you what you say in rehearsal how you phrase that request how you look at the ensembles they are a lot of little nuances i mean the listeners can't see but i'm smiling from ear to ear because i mean <laughs> these are the questions a lot of us have been asking for years right i mean one thing that we're doing at laurier that i'm so thrilled with is that we are in st- starting a course that already is on overload. We have a wait list for it called Public Speaking and Acting. Maureen Forrester, who was a celebrated contralto in, well, in the world, but she was Canadian. Our recital hall is named after her. One of her daughters, Linda Cash, she was on Seinfeld. She was, uh, whose girlfriend was she on Seinfeld? George's, George's girlfriend on Seinfeld for I don't know how many episodes, but she was also the Philadelphia cream cheese lady with the wings and stuff in the cloud <laughs> before your time. Anyway, she's also Canadian and she's teaching this course called public speaking and acting. And as I said, it's like quote unquote oversold. I mean, there's a massive wait list for it to get in, which tells us, right, that this is something that our students want. And when I was at Cornell and one of my sabbaticals, I took acting and movement and speaking lessons. I was going to go to New York City, but the guy wanted to come out of the city, so he actually came and stayed at our house. So I had these private acting, public speaking, and movement lessons. As it really, and, and he was a musician; he played French horn in in college in Cincinnati, actually. And um, he kind of tailored this four day workshop with me. Completely changed how I thought about conducting. Completely, and so I think that there's a lot for us as conductors to learn and music education students to learn from acting. And we think, well, no, 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 not, we don't act on the podium. The whole point is to learn how to be yourself, which is harder than it sounds, right? To be yourself on the podium, but we don't want to act when we're up there. That's exactly what we're trying not to do. But if you think about it a little bit differently, we all know the actors in Hollywood who keep playing themselves in this in the movie, right? It's like I think I'm, I would meet that guy, and he would be exactly who he keeps playing in the movies. And then we know the other actors who can change their whole being for a character, right? They become that character. Meryl Streep becomes Sophie, right? Meryl Streep becomes whoever she has ingested with that script, right? And that's what we want as conductors, right? We don't want to act the music. We want to be the music, right? We want to ingest the script, which in our case is the score. We want to learn how to improvise and be empathetic and great listeners and react on the podium and on the screen, right? With our other actors, in this case, musicians. So there's a ton we can learn from acting classes. Public speaking, same thing. Poetry, All of these things that will inform 
like you said, how we say things, how we ask for things, what metaphors we use that will be relatable to people, our tone of voice, the speed in which we speak relative to the thing that we are asking, relative to the gesture we are using, relative to the music we are performing. I mean, again, making all those connections. I mean, I, I took videos of myself recording myself ugh, at Cornell and at Georgia, and I watched them and go, I am yelling a lot. I'm not speaking in different timbres relative to the music. I'm not waiting. I'm not using silence enough to get their attention, you know, and you fall back into various habits, right? To get the job done, right? To be more efficient. I can't recommend recording yourself enough. You have to have a strong sense of personal affirmation, <laughs> but <laughs> it's like, okay, my voice doesn't sound like this, but it's, boy, you're, you really are your own best teacher. I know. I don't have the right word for it, but when I heard someone like you con having connected for so many years still watch your own videos, a lot of time when I saw myself, I was like, oh, that's a really boring connector. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, boring. Uh, there's, uh, boy, there's some words I've had for myself, but go beyond boring that I shall not share in public. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if, and if you've got the willpower, right? We talk about impulsive will on the podium. What about the impulsive will to watch yourself and improve, right? It's hard. I walk down practice room hallway at Georgia and here I hear amazing students sounding great, right? I didn't hear, I didn't hear a lot of mistakes because that's not the human condition, right? We practice what we do well and we want to feel good about that. So we keep practicing, right? Like, aren't I wonderful? Versus <laughs> training our weaknesses, right? And we all have them. It's just hard, but that, that's also conducting. But what you say was really amazing, this acting class. Now I want to take one. I want to create something for myself. So I heard about acting classes for singers, since that's kind of like more naturally what you associate acting with musicians. And I know um, Alice Farham, when she did the workshop for women, like beginning women conductors in the United Kingdom, she also incorporated that. Like, I think she is also, she focused more about like exploring your body, understand how to best use the different parts. But, but you were talking about deeper, right? Kind of really becoming something that you want to become. Yeah. I mean, I think if I was to design, uh, and I will be, <laughs> designing a, a conducting workshop, there would be lots of elements of what you're talking about. Tai Chi, mime. We can do one together. Let's do I'll it. I'll do all the work. Let's do it. <laughs> you just come, show up. That's the hardest part. I'll do all I'm the down. work. I'm down. Let's do it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, mime, we make fun of mime artists all the time, but I mean, there's, they tell stories with their body and isn't that what we're doing? So beginning conducting classes, teaching them the pattern from the get-go. No, right? What about playing charades? Let's get them, under, like you say, understanding their body and using their body to communicate things without their voice. That's what we need to do more of from the get-go and all through our conducting training. Yeah, the acting classes I took were actually more like therapy. 
at some point I went, hang, hang on a second. <laughs> is this a therapy session? Because this guy is getting in there, right? And I wrote an article about it actually because it was so profound and it was called, it was in the WASB magazine. It was called What's with the Russian Soldier? It was back, uh, well, I was at Cornell, so probably around 2010 or something like that. And he had me do this. I mean, we did a lot that weekend, but one of the most profound exercises was I had to use the whole room. And in, in, in Ithaca, we had this sort of walkout basement. So it was a large space carpeted. I had to use my whole voice and I, my entire body and the entire space to tell a story. But it couldn't be linear. Like it couldn't be a narrative. It couldn't be from this point to this point to this point leading to this point. I tried it and I, w- I went on for about five minutes, which seemed like an eternity. And, he, and I kept saying, and then, and he'd say, stop, start again. Oh, you know, I'm a frog, blah, 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 I'm in a tree. And then the princess stopped. <laughs> it was like, I was just like, and I was, you know, t- type A. I have to be good at this from the get-go, competitive. Urgh, I was getting really upset. And, you know, he made me try it like, oh, I don't know, three, four, five times. And I finally said, "I, re- you know, Jason, I just don't know what you're after. Can you show me? And he got up there and did this, I don't even know what to, how to describe it, performance art. It was gorgeous. It was exciting. It was compelling. It was not linear. It was this sort of abstract crazy painting story music that he did with his body, his voice in the room that I just was, holy smokes. (laughs) And then I tried it again and failed and failed and failed and failed. Stole some of his stuff and he'd stop me there. He said, that's my story. Shit. Excuse my phone. And so I got really frustrated and it went on for about an hour. And he finally, he saw that I was getting very frustrated. I was getting frustrated. I wasn't on the verge of tears, but I was really quite angry about that I couldn't do this and confused. Like I didn't, I didn't still know exactly what he wanted. So he said, Cindy, come over here. And I walked over and he was sitting on a chair and I stood in front of him and he said, do you trust me? And I, I lied and I said, yes, because <laughs> wanted this to be over. <laughs> uh, yes, Jason, I trust you. And he said, I want you to be the Russian soldier and take one step to your left. And I know it sounds bizarre, but I knew exactly what he meant. So I became the Russian soldier, which I kept referring to in my failed stories. When I couldn't think of anything, when I was really frustrated, I would kind of become this Russian soldier so I would stand like super erect and I would do the high knee marching and I had a you know I had a rifle and I was looking straight ahead um I was kind of walking around and I guess I I don't remember but I guess I kept coming back to that person in my failed storytelling take one step to the left and become the Russian soldier I was like the weirdest thing and he said you're very important to Cindy aren't you yes sir you protect Cindy don't you yes sir like, boom, 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 boom. And the point of the entire weekend was to figure out your archetypes. Your So it's very Jungian, Carl Jung and the Power of the Archetype, which I subsequently read. Went, oh my gosh, this is like extremely deep and important. But it was, you know, and, it, and I, he came, he got to all of them. 
you know, it was all about discipline and obeying, athleticism, all things that very, very, I guess, important to me. He got to the clown, which is another, you know, archetype I will revert to in times of stress or to if I see people uncomfortable, like, oh, I'm the one there. And then they're making like, like a joke and trying to make everybody <laughs> laugh. Like he, he found all of these parts of my personality, deep or not deep parts of my psyche, as it were, that I reverted to in times of stress. So in other words, it really was a, it was four days of knowing thyself peppered in with all these acting and movement lessons. It was like, holy smoke. And so do I think that that's important for good leadership and conducting, knowing who you are? Absolutely. Not for everyone. And frankly, I didn't know what I was getting into. That at one point in the weekend, I was like, what have I done? This is like not what I didn't want therapy. I wanted to uh, understand my body and how to use my body and voice and movement better as a conductor. But it turns out that that's really tied into knowing who you are as a human. So how does that translate to knowing yourself and how you I don't even know how to ask this question like I was I was trying to understand how does that translate into your work with ensembles as a conductor with musicians you come in with a different totally different mindset for sure absolutely I mean we're going to get into ego a little bit we can talk a little bit about ego I mean if you don't have an ego there's something wrong but getting that knowing your ego and when it is getting in the way of the music and the music making and the musicians, that's part of it, right? So knowing yourself to the point where you can say, that's my ego right now. That is my ego back off, right? This is not about you, Cindy, right? This is about X, Y, Z or the the music or that kid who's now crying in your ensemble or, or whatever, right? It allows me, and again, I haven't completely figured, this is a lifelong journey, but it allows me to be more empathetic to other people when I see behaviors mirrored that I completely relate to, that I find annoying <laughs> or distasteful, I'll go, well, that's because I do that. That's why I find it annoying. So show a little compassion or a little understanding, right? I now know how to communicate with this person because that's how I would like to be communicated with. I think, right? It doesn't work all the time, but it certainly helps. And in times of stress, which happen a lot on the podium, right? At least for me, <laughs> in rehearsals <laughs> and, and, and in performances, is quickly understanding what's going on, right? And understanding what happens to the body. Because in a, a variety of these exercises that my acting teacher was taking me through, he was helping me understand what was happening in my body while I was feeling certain things. Adrenaline, pulse, heart rate, sweating, all of the things, and how to sort of breathe and get them in check and understand where they were coming from. So that's part of it too. So public speaking and acting, what else do you want to <laughs> add to our conducting program? <laughs> so we don't, we would be the program that doesn't teach conducting techniques. Is that even possible? Well, maybe because, no, well, I mean, I think, I think the other part of it would be mime and tai chi as well i took a tai chi class and i was so oh my god you people can we not move faster <laughs> i mean this is so boring <laughs> and but i think there's some like i kept trying of course and under started to understand some of these motions 
and understand why they were important. And also you take a deeper dive into Tai Chi. And again, I know enough, I'm just enough to be dangerous here to quote my dear friend, Brett Bauckham. you know, the movement of energy around the body and around your person that you are capable of actually manipulating that energy. I mean, we're getting like pretty esoteric here, but that is a thing. And to, to understand that as a, compo- a, a, well, a composer, sure, but as a conductor, I think it's extremely interesting, right? And some students would relate to that and some students wouldn't. I certainly didn't at the beginning. It was like, this is boring. <laughs> Can we go, like, let's go swimming or biking or something. Like, I don't want to, you know, it's like, I don't want to memorize these patterns, but super cool, right? And even if you don't, like, take up Tai Chi for the rest of your life, are there motions that you learn in Tai Chi that could transfer that are quite stunning relative to the music that you're doing that could transfer into your body that your body learns and therefore translate into conducting. Same thing with mime, same thing with acting. Improvisation would be a huge part of a conducting workshop, not just improvisation, not improvisation with music, although you could transfer it into, but improvisation with each other, right? Really, really deep listening and responding in the moment You can prepare for an improv, but you also have to respond and react in the moment. And that is exactly what rehearsing is, right? You can prepare for a rehearsal. How many times have we seen this? How many times have we done this? Where we prepare a rehearsal and you don't actually change that based on what's happening in front of you. You know what I mean? Like you just keep barreling through with the rehearsal that you've prepared. Well, in fact, some things might have fixed themselves from the last rehearsal to the the next rehearsal. So why are you actually spending all that time doing that, bozo? You know, because I rehearsed it. I rehearsed my rehearsal. No, (laughs) that's okay to prepare a rehearsal, but you also have to react immediately to what you're hearing, what's coming at you in time, in the moment, right? And that's just, that's good improvisation. So learning those skills as an actor can translate on the podium as well. Because good improvisation is good listening and good reacting, right? Catching a sound and react to it. There you go. I asked that question because I was thinking it would be nice for the collectors to to have a chance to use all the things in with the ensemble. But with a lot of teachers that I've worked with, it's, it's so hard for teachers to see something going wrong and not correct it. And then we fall into like, hey, you should do your hands this way. That's a challenge that I've been experiencing. But I took notes. I'm serious about this because I, I've, been, I've been giving a lot of thoughts what girls who conduct can become because there are so many different workshops. And then from one of our programs, the participant told us like they wish they had, they were more, Actual conducting, and and I told them that's what you would get from other conducting workshops. There are workshops specifying like in that you get a lot of podium time, you get to try things out, make mistakes. We're having really good teachers, but that is not what we're trying to give you. We're trying to give you a lot of other things that we learned much later. It are so important to the career. While I understand that mostly they are still worrying about their hand, but it's a different mindset. Yeah, it would be interesting to design a conducting workshop. Maybe it would be over a week where you could you could do a lot of these things that relate to conducting Tai Chi, yoga, acting, public speaking, improv, 
charades, you know, at, a, at various levels, conducting poetry, what, whatever it is, and then also have some podium time, maybe with even a chamber ensemble, which is a little bit more intimate and some particularly younger conductors feel a little bit more at ease to take more risks. And then again, in terms of good curriculum, allowing the students to make a connection from the Tai Chi class to what they're doing on the podium or from that, hey, but that's not how you behaved in the improv class. What can you do here in this rehearsal that's a little bit more spontaneous, say, or, you know, that kind of thing that you can allow the conducting workshop participants to make the connection between what they're learning over here with their body, with their psyche, with their voice, with their hands, whatever it is, and applying it to a music situation. And perhaps the that small chamber ensemble is part of the part of the workshop as well. Like they're taking these these other, you know, these other ex, quote unquote extra musical classes just for fun, you know. So they're also understanding. Because as soon as that's part of great leadership too, right? Is a shared vision. If you don't have a shared vision, it's not going it's probably not going to work, right? So bringing the musicians into the process. We ask all the time, what makes a good conductor? Ask musicians, right? Ask, ask people that you're in front of. They'll tell you. And so why not bring them more part of the process when we're teaching good conducting? You know, what's in my mind now is it's, it would be so hard to book you for a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's true. You might have to be like in five years. <laughs> uh, no, I don't know. Well, for sure in five years. In four years, I have a year of uh, leadership leave. I was going to say administrative leave, but I've taken administration out of my lexicon and replaced it with leadership. So every time somebody says administration, I go leadership or administrative. <laughs> no, that's just leadership, right? Uh, the policy person's over there, right? And they're f- fantastic at it, and I'm not. So vision and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, I actually get a year off in four years. So we could do it then or summertime. You know, I take holidays and we do it. Yeah. I mean, I would start experimenting maybe even with one day and then add it to two days. And then by the fourth year, I'll be ready for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the, uh, and I had been trying to do this at Georgia for five years or something. And I finally got George, I can't think of his last name, George. He was, um, again, acting and movement prof at UGA. Just fantastic. And I had him come and teach my graduate conducting class. I just said, George, it's all yours. And I told him about my experience with the guy from New York City. I said, I, I want them to get in tune with their body and what you do, a bunch of exercises. And I'm telling you, we had two hours of the most fun, laughing, crying, like crying in a good way like complete aha moments. So it's, uh, yeah, I can't recommend. Is it George Kennedy? Yeah. Look at you. Look at you doing your research in the moment. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. We'll make something happen in Georgia, I promise. <laughs> yeah, he'd be great. He's amazing. Yeah. So just to wrap up our conversation, what are the, some of the things that you learned along this amazingly... journey (laughs) conducting people yeah Yeah. well i've learned that you're always learning i'm always learning i've learned that i haven't figured it out i've learned to trust myself and other people 
more. That was a that was hard for me as a young person. I was it was hard for me to trust people. I've learned and this is I'm still learning not to compare myself to others. That is the secret of unhappiness. But I'm I'm, I'm still learning. That. So hard. <laughs> I'm getting better. I'm getting better. Facebook is hard for that, right? I read Facebook and I just get like so jealous isn't not jealous but like oh man you know i wish i was doing that you know i wish i was on that beach or i wish you know that's that person has such an amazing <laughs> life or blah, blah blah and i'm like yeah well that's their social media life right so you know i've learned about that i've learned to take risks and be okay with that i mean i took a lot of risks musically and in presenting concerts at Georgia, lots of risks with lots of help. I did not do this on my own. I had grad students who were like, yeah, let's try this. And not everything was a success, but many things were. And I hear about it later that this was so inspiring, or I did this too, or thank you for doing this because that's, you know, it's changing the paradigm of these bizarre concert rituals that we still put people through and quote unquote classical music concerts, which are so awful in my opinion you know it's so restricting um and, and so uh i've been buoyed by that by taking risks and what we do is not heart surgery so nobody's gonna die if, if we try something new right and it doesn't work out it's just gonna be we tried something new and it didn't work out onward so i've learned to be more courageous with that kind of stuff my 360 review my first year as a dean so they asked you know people that report to me and there are a lot there are a lot of people now that report to me it turns out and colleagues other deans and people that I report to which is the president and the provost and it was uh overall very positive but the one piece of advice was slow down <laughs> I can see that <laughs> don't chase this on the storage yeah, I, I thought you know no the rest of y'all try to keep up we you know i have a five-year term let's go i mean we've we've been talking about this for years we've been talking about this for years right in terms of changing the curriculum what is the problem let's go but i get it you know like shared vision and all that sort of stuff i, I get it so but you know i've learned i've learned that too that i need to slow down sometimes i've learned that most people not all that most people are just trying their best and no amount of uh, me berating them or yelling at them is going to make them do better. I don't know. I've, uh, that's pretty good, right? I, yes. That's a pretty good life. Yeah. I mean, I'm jealous. I'm totally lucky. I get it. Very lucky. And it's uh, it's not over. Gosh, you sound like I'm about to get a Lifetime Achievement Award and then people... <laughs> People like die 10 years later. No, no, I'm still going strong. But it's things like this where I am continually amazed that people are interested in what I might have to say. But also when I start I start talking, it's like, yeah, I've, I've, it's been a long career, you know, and I'm still learning. That's the beauty of it. For sure. Thank you so much, Cindy. Thank you. This has been a, it's been lovely to chat with you. Finally. <laughs> You're awesome. Everybody, oh, you're awesome. She's awesome. Everybody's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I love what you're doing. I love the organization. I wish I could be more involved than I am, but anything you need, please just let me know. We'll make it happen. Being a role model 
and telling me all about this acting class. <laughs> I'm so excited. Let's go. Let's do it. Hey, I didn't lie to you, right? This was such a great conversation. I'm so glad that we finally found a time to connect with each other and to talk about really important stuff. It's a, such a vague concept of good conducting, but it's something like laugh and love that you can't hide from others. Everybody knows when the conducting sucks. We can't really describe what good conducting is because everybody has different priorities. You know, have different criteria of how you judge conducting. Some people like、um, tech people; they are technically sharper. Some people like a lot of musical ideas. Some people like、um, really connections. If your technique sucks, that's okay because your eye tells all the stories. <laughs> There are those kind of conductors, right? But when the conducting sucks. We all know it. That's something you can't hide. And I'm so happy that she shared her experiences. And I love that she, at you know, at her status at this time of history, <laughs> I'm exaggerating, but she still watches her own conducting videos and learn from it. That's something we could all learn from her, right? I have to say, I am guilty. I don't. I stopped recording myself for quite a while, and I stopped looking at myself to embarrass myself because I hate it. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, but that's something important. And to be a good leader and be really understanding who you are, how you respond to things, how do you react to different situations—all that comes to the package. I loved this conversation so much, and I hope you are the same. Thank you again for sharing your time here with me, and I hope to see you next week at the same time, same place. Bye for now, and take care. Thank、you